Tyler and I watched an interesting uh, video over the weekend. We didn't have a lot of time this weekend to uh, do things, but uh, interesting video, and it was about, it's called The Social Dilemma. If you ever get a chance, take a watch to it. It's about social media and your information, so it's, it's, uh, it's eye-opening. I'm not going to kind of deal with that from the pulpit, so to speak, but there was interesting, uh, there was an interesting line there when they, um, now these were all, uh, and the people in this, this video were all former employees and stuff, and and they talked about some of the studies that were done. It turns out, on Twitter, fake news travels six times faster than real news. Isn't that interesting? That's what the world's become to, right? Um, and so now sometimes you don't know whether it's real news, bad news, good news. It's, it's, it's hard to even tell anymore. And so if there's ever a time that we as followers of Christ need to truly strive to know what's true and real... Uh, it's in the day and age that we're living in, uh, but we also need to deal with these things with a measure of grace, amen? Measure of grace. Not everybody else is going to have the same opinion. I don't know about you, but I am thankful that this week is the election week, so I'm tired of all the call, robocalls, the text. How did they get my numbers? What I want to know. For you to get a text from our church, you've got to give us permission and all this stuff for us just to send you a text to pray for sister so-and-so. But I guess if you're running for office, you can take anybody's number do whatever you want with it. I spent half the week uh, typing back stop and hitting reply emails. That works, by the way. It works so you have to take your name off if you do that, so that's been interesting. So it, uh, I'm glad the election cycles this week. I think we need to be in prayer about that. Uh, and pray, but listen, God already knows the results, amen. The results are in, God knows, and he'll take care of that. And so this morning, I, I want to look at a passage of scripture. I don't know about you, but have you ever read a passage that you've read a, a lot of other times and suddenly you saw it differently? And I say that a lot, and uh, I, I don't know why it is, but it seems like God has just led me to, to really go back and go over some of the stories that I've known by heart for years and years and go over them in Sunday school, you know, and, uh, and had read them a thousand times, but now as an adult, you know, kind of getting up in years, I will say, not as old as some people. Some people are real old. I'm not saying any names or pointing anybody, but um, some people are real old. I'm not, uh, but I'm, I'm halfway old. How about that? I'm halfway old. Uh, it's a big joke. It had always been a joke between me and Sal and Dave and Mary. It was always about being old. And uh, they were our older friends, more seasoned, more seasoned saints, I should say, right? Um, but now that, it, I guess, just in a different stage of life, you read the scriptures and it's amazing what else you're able to glean from those scriptures. So we're going to go back and look at a very familiar story. If you've ever spent any time in Sunday school as a kid, I'm sure that you've looked at, at this story before, uh, but we want to look at it. And uh, really, to be quite honest with you, the message got a couple different parts. Now, I thought about doing a three-part message, but I'm, I've, uh, Brother Kevin's preaching next week, so I said, well, I can't do that. And I said, well, I could ask Brother Kevin to preach the second part. I said, well, I'm not going to do that. I just decided to just preach all three parts today. How about that? I'll have you out of here by evening time, all right? I don't know. What time does race come on? <laughs> liar, liar, your pants are on fire. Huh? Yeah, yeah, he's, he's adjusted for a couple hours, what he's doing. 
I'll, I'll definitely get you out here before the buffet empties out of food, all right? Does that be all right? All right. If you, if you really that need to have updates, you can look at updates on your phone, right? So I want you to turn your Bibles this morning to Exodus chapter 1. Exodus chapter 1. We're going to read verses 15 through 22 to start, uh, but just stay in Exodus because we're going to continue on down into chapter 2 uh, just for a little while as well, all right? So once you have your place, uh, also if you have the My Custom Church app, the scripture is already loaded in there for you. Once you have your place, if you'd stand to your feet, we like to do that. We like to honor God by standing for the reading of His Word. We'll read His Word, then we'll go into prayer, and then we'll get started in the message this morning. Exodus chapter 1, starting at verse, verse 15, says this, Then the king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, one of whom was named Shephira and the other one Puah, when you serve as midwife to the Hebrew women and see them on the birthstool, if it is a son, you shall kill him. But if it is a daughter, she shall live. But the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but let the male children live. So the king of Egypt called the midwives and said to him, Why have you done this and let the male children live? The midwives said to Pharaoh, Because the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, for they are vigorous and give birth before the midwife comes to them. So God dealt well with the midwives, and the people multiplied and grew very strong. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families. Then Pharaoh commanded all of his people, Every son that is born to the Hebrews you shall cast into the Nile, but you shall let every daughter live. Let's pray. Father, we love you. Lord, we just thank you for this time that we have in your word. Lord, I pray that our hearts will be open to receive your word. Lord, that we would receive it with gladness. And God, in the parts that challenge us, Lord, I pray that, that we'll not get angry with those things, but instead see that challenge for the beauty of it uh, and leave here uh, with a resolve, Lord, to live closer to you. Lord, and do those things which is pleasing to you, which glorifies you. Lord, we know that it takes effort. It takes time. And so, God, we just pray, Lord, that we will just look at our lives this morning, think about what we're doing, and Lord, and we'll decide to live closer to you. Lord, we love you, and we pray this in the name of your beautiful son, Jesus. Amen. Y'all can be seated. So just a little bit of a background as we get into this morning's text, right? Through God's work in Joseph, you remember the story of Joseph. He was the one that was sold into slavery by his brothers. Uh, and through the work, uh, God's work in Joseph's life, Joseph ended up going through even many trials in Egypt, such as going to Potiphar's house, uh, being lied on by Potiphar's wife, ends up in prison. But through it all, Joseph ends up second in command, second to the Pharaoh only. And it was because of that and then the vision that God gave that Joseph was able to interpret. They were able to keep back grain during the plenty years so that they would have plenty to eat in the lean years. And so it's because of this leadership of Joseph who lived close to God regardless of his circumstance. And that's a whole message in itself, which I'm not going to get into. But because of that, now, now uh, Israel, the people of Israel, are living in Egypt. And they are blossoming. 
If you read, actually, I would challenge you to go back and, and, and read the whole text. But in just verses 7 through 12, it says this, and still in chapter 1, it says, But the people of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly, and they multiplied and they grew exceedingly strong, so that the land was filled with them. Now there arose a king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. So in other words, now there's a Pharaoh who didn't really know who Joseph was and why the people of Israel were there and why they had, uh, why they had done so well. And he said to his people, Behold, the people of Israel are too many and too mighty for us. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply. And if a war breaks out, they join our enemies and fight against us and escape the land. Therefore, they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with heavy burdens." They built for Pharaoh stores, cities, Pithom, and Ramses. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied, and the more they spread abroad. And the Egyptians were in dread of the people of Israel. Isn't that kind of interesting? That is, the more they were oppressed, the more that, that the Pharaoh tried to do against the Christians, the better off they were. Now, it doesn't mean that they didn't have a tough life and they didn't have to do physical labor. But the more that they were oppressed, the stronger they grew. Isn't that interesting how that works in life, right? So a lot of times it's, it's more when we're in those moments, uh, in those circumstances in life that stretch us, right? That, that kind of depress, you know, they, they press against us in a, in a harsh way. It's in those moments that we grow the most and that we actually get exceedingly strong because of the pressure that is against us when we truly take it to God and we'll live in faith in Him. Now, if we say that we have faith, but yet we live in our lives with worry and anxiety all the time because we don't trust God, then those moments will not help us grow at all. Matter of fact, those moments are when the, the deceiver will come in and start to plant that seed of doubt and say something like, if God loves you, why do you got to go through this? If God loves you, why are you against the, the brick, so to speak? If God loves you, then why are things so difficult? But in those moments, if we'll truly hold to all that God is and be rooted and grounded like we spoke about last week in Him, then we will realize that trials come for blessing purposes. Trials come for various reasons, but ultimately there will be a blessing regardless of what the trial is. Sooner or later, there will be blessings that come out of it. It doesn't mean that the pain won't linger. It doesn't mean that life won't be difficult. But God will bless if we are truly faithful and believe that he rewards those who love him. Amen. And so now we're, we look at this story that Israel has done so well, and now they're being pressed, they're being worked hard, uh, and they're being treated wrong, but still yet they are multiplying and they are doing well. And now, the, now we see that the Pharaoh now has done gotten so worried about these people that, that love the one true living God, Yahweh, and Him alone. Remember, the Egyptians had many gods. If you go back and you study the plagues that God put against Egypt, you will find that each one of those plagues was, was really targeted toward a specific belief that the Egyptians had. It, he just didn't pick fleas out of the thin air. But he addressed several of their gods in those, uh, during those plagues, and that's for another time. But now we've seen that the oppression now has got so bad because they see that the Israelites are just increasing and still doing well and growing stronger that now the Pharaoh has turned to this, this harsh sentence of what's known as infanticide. 
I, I don't know how to pronounce it exactly right. I, I didn't even check. It's infant aside. That's close enough. Brian can put it up on the screen. You can go look it up. But what is that, right? Well, it's kind of a, it, it's kind of a genocide aimed at, at, at infants, right? A genocide typically is known as, as when people are, are massly killed to wipe out a nationality. So if you ever study the uh, Armenians over in Europe, you'll see that uh, there was genocide there where they tried to snuff out those people. And see, here we see an emphasize in the point that they're trying, to, they're trying to, to press this hard sentence against the Hebrew people by killing their male child, their male children. Then they will become a weaker people because there wouldn't be males to fight. And so they would be a people that would be dependent upon the land and the government of the land that they were living in because they wouldn't have the males to fight and do, that, uh, and do the work and stuff. And so that's why they, they're letting the, well, let the girls live. Now, obviously, they'd never seen my wife fight. I mean, my wife put up her dukes. I'm running. You know what I'm saying? She's, well, anyway, this is a long story. Uh, I still duck every now and then just to make sure it ain't, you know, ain't coming. She's right-handed just in case you're wondering, right? Thank God she's not a lefty. Boy, that comes out of left field there, right? Whew, amazing. But they figured, you know what? We'll get rid of all the males and allow no more newborn males. And so we'll weaken their race. And so now they, the, the, the Pharaoh commissions and tells these midwives that we want you to take the lives of all the male children that are born. Now, I know what you're thinking, well, Huff, that was back then. Do you realize that this, this and again, infanticide, whatever you pronounce, I should have done a better job of checking how to pronounce that. Do you know it's still occurring today in other countries? Did you know that? We look at this passage in the scripture and we're like, well, that was at least 4,000 years ago. But do you realize it's happening today? Especially when China did the mandate of one child allowed per, per household. Guess what? When a daughter was born, that's not what they wanted. They wanted a male. You know why? Because male children can make a living, can bring money into the family. So guess what happens to some of the female children that are born? They're quietly, well, you get the idea. In India, it's the same thing. Families don't want a lot of girls. You know why? Because they, in, in a lot of the, the, the caste system that is still present in India, the more daughters you have, the more money you got to have for a dowry. Because if you do not have a good dowry, she will not marry well. And so the best way to make sure that a daughter marries well is not to have multiple. So what do you think happens to those female children? So here we're looking at male infanticide, but even in today, in the 20th century, this still occurs. And it's sad. And so we see here, though, that, that, that there's something that beautiful that comes out of this because there was these Hebrew midwives. And this is kind of where I, I really see the, the, the really first movement, if you will, of pro-life. What we think of as the modern movement of pro-life is not new at all. 
We see it here in the scriptures. Now, listen, I know we can go all the way back to Genesis when God gave us life. That pro-life started then. But I, I want you to think about now they got this situation now where the midwives are, are being told that allow the, the infant girls to live, but all the male infants, we want you to, well, you want, we want you to kill them because we're, they were trying to hurt these people and oppress and crush the, the Israelite people through this infanticide. And how sad is that? And to think that in the 20th century it's happening in other countries because, well, because of money, because of circumstance. And then we see in America, now millions and millions every year are aborted. Why? For a lot of the same reasons. It's not a good time for us to have a child. Or it was a, well, it was a bad circumstance that someone put themselves in. But the world would have you think today that if you're pro-life, that what you are against is women's health. And that couldn't be farther from the truth. That's an absolute lie. It has nothing to do with it. But the world would tell other people today that are coming up and don't know the difference between the truth and a lie. They would tell you that those who love God, who say that they're pro-life, well, what they're really trying to do is control a woman's body. They're trying to make you fit into their mold of what we want, and that is absolutely a lie. What we're trying to do is exactly what's trying to be done here, is save a life that deserves to be lived. God made this precious life. And here we have it. And we see, though, that the midwives, even though they were told from the Pharaoh, now you can imagine this, if you do not adhere to the Pharaoh's laws, you can imagine just how ugly that could have gotten. You think about in the ancient days, they had many ways to kill, and none of them were quick. But they were very painful. And so their life would even be at stake here just because we know when we go back through, the, you know, through, through history and kind of gain more information about what these people were like, it was nothing for them to do a death sentence, especially on people they considered a slave. And these midwives were putting their own lives in jeopardy to save lives. But we see here that because they feared God, and they knew that killing was wrong. I want you to understand that the Mosaic law had not even been handed down yet. We don't even have the stone tablets with the Ten Commandments yet. But yet they feared God and they knew in their heart of hearts that killing was wrong. Hey Amen. Listen, God has placed his law, the Bible says in Romans chapter 1, upon the hearts of men. So therefore that we stand without an excuse. And we break our own moral codes when we do such. So that the world says today that those are pro-life is that we, we don't like women and we, we, don't, you know, we, we want to harm their bodies or take control of their bodies. That could not be farther from the truth, but that's what's being said. And then the other part of the lie is this, is that it's not yet a living human being. And they couldn't be farther from the truth. My friend, if it has a heartbeat, it's a living thing. Amen. But we see that God dealt well with these midwives. Why? Because they chose life. And so Christians, I'm here to tell you today that pro-life, being pro-life is not an option for a believer in Christ. It should be our life. Pro-life should be all, it should you know, be something that, that we, now listen, I think that we need to deliver the message of being pro-life gracefully. 
There's just too much of this. If you believe this, I don't want you. If you believe this, delete me. All this kind of craziness is going on. We got to deliver the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ that every life counts from conception to grave. And we got to deliver it with grace. And tell people, I love you, even though you think that I don't. Even though you think that my stance that I've taken is somehow against, people, against women and their reproductive rights or their bodies. Listen, that couldn't be further from the truth, but I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to love you in such a way that I will convince you that my stance is out of love and nothing else but if you'll just give me time because I'll love you. I'll love you without any, without any reservations. Regardless of what your beliefs are, I'm going to love you and show you the grace that Jesus would have shown you if you were standing on this earth when he was here. We've got to deliver the message of being, of being for life, but we've got to deliver it with grace and with tact. We get nowhere being angry and delivering shot for shot. It does nothing for us, and that's not how God told us to act. God said for us to love even our enemies and do good to them who even spitefully use you. That's what we are called to do. Just as he did. He was spat upon, yet he loved. He was nailed to a cross and he looked at those who did the nailing and said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. That agape love. That love with reckless abandon. That's the kind of love we need to show. But I love this picture here of these Hebrew midwives that even though their lives were at stake, still yet, still yet they refused, refused to do what the Pharaoh had requested. And God did what? He dealt well with them and he blessed them. Folks, when we start caring about the lives of others, God will bless us. The problem is, is a lot of times we say that we care about others. Because we're going to I want to show you in the scriptures this morning and share a little bit with you that, that pro-life is not just about an abortion thing. Being pro-life is about loving everyone, no matter where they are in life. And I got a little thing for you. You know what? I saw something in the scriptures that just, that just kind of shook me. Because all along, how many, let me ask you this, how many have ever prayed to prayer, God, I want to be closer to you? Right? Uh, I got three. If you've ever prayed, God, I want to get closer to you, say amen. amen. All right, that's a little better. Apparently your hands don't work, but your voice does. I'll take it. We've all prayed that prayer. God, I want to get close to you. I want to show you in the scripture, there is a surefire way of how to walk closer with God. Without doubt. A surefire way to walk closer but I want to listen. I want to ask you, when you prayed that prayer, did you mean it? My wife and I watched a, an interesting movie. Has anybody ever seen the movie, uh, uh, what was Machine Gun Preacher. Have you seen that? Boy, I, I could, man, that's a, you got a head nod. That's a good movie. That dude straight up, like he loved people, but he, he took out life too. He, you know, uh, he was over in Sudan. You got to watch the movie. He goes to Sudan. His heart is just so taken. By those who are being done wrong, I think it was over four, with the statistic at the end, over 400,000 a year, I think, that they traffic these children through there and sell them into the sex trade and all this other stuff. 400,000 a year. 
And at one point, he was asking a, a businessman who had a very, a, a, a very good business. He asked him for $5,000 to help these children, that he would be able to feed them. And he fed thousands. Well, he and all those who were giving their time with him as well. Asked for $5,000, the guy said, man, I, he couldn't do it, he couldn't do it. But then eventually the guy invited him to a party at his house and he had this just McMansion, you know what I'm saying? A McMansion and, a, you know, and just a huge, you know, huge house. And he threw this big old party, spent all this money on food and stuff. And he gave the guy, uh, uh, the, he, he gave the guy an envelope with a check in it. So he decided to go in the bathroom and tear this envelope apart and see how much this check was for. Now remember, he had asked this businessman, "Can you, you know, $5,000, surely, surely business is going well enough for you that you can afford this. When he gets to the guy's house, you see how this guy's living? He opens up, it was a check for $150. One line in the movie says this, he spent more money than that on the salsa for this party. So listen, when I ask the question, do you want to get close to God? And do you want to walk near and dear? Do you want to walk close to Him? Listen, when you, I want you to seriously ask yourself that. And when you, when you pray, did you really pray with, with, with really a desire to be closer to Him? Because we're, we'll look at a scripture here in just a little bit that gives us a surefire way to be close to God. And so I want to challenge you today. If you really meant it, then let today be the last day that you don't do anything about it. Tomorrow, start doing something. But first off, let's look. Let's look at what pro-life really means, because pro-life isn't just about this abortion issue. And that's where the church has really gone wrong. We think that if we vote the right way, if this Tuesday, if we put the right person's name in the ballot box, that somehow we have done our duty. And I'm going to tell you, listen, if that's all you do, you ain't done squat. Do you understand me? If that's all you do, then shame on you. You haven't done anything. Because God has called us to be his hands and his feet. And it's not just about putting a, a vote. Anybody can do that. Listen, if what you're doing, if what you're doing to, to help out the lives of, of infants is nothing more than a ballot box, think about how many people say that, that, that don't claim to love Jesus. Think about how many people that, that do not walk with him, do not pray to him, and don't even ascribe to the fact that he's real can do the same thing that you're doing. If that's the case, then you're not doing anything. If somebody else who does not love Jesus, does not love God, can do the same thing that I do for the same purpose without any effort, then we're not doing anything. Because somebody who doesn't love God can, can check that same name on a box that we do. So what, is I, so what is that really about? But let's look at what being pro-life is. I want you to turn your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 58. Isaiah 58. I'm going to share an Old Testament passage with you. I'm going to share a New Testament passage with you. And then I'm going to show you a passage of Scripture that will surely, surely give you what you're asking for. If you want to be close to God, it'll be the passage that you need. Isaiah chapter 58, we're going to read verses 6 to 11. Now, you should read verses 1 through, 1 through 5 to give yourself a good context of this, but for time's sake. in verse 4 is kind of my favorite part of that. He says, you fast only to quarrel and fight in verse 4. Right? So he's talking to the, his people, the children of Israel, and, 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 and uh, tribe of Judah. 
or the remnant there. Uh, remember the tribe had split into, uh, Israel had split into two, the northern kingdom and the southern. And this scripture was for all of them. In verse 6 he says, Is not this the fast that I chose to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house and when you see the naked to cover him and not hide yourself from your own flesh? Then shall your light break forth like dawn and your healing spring up speedily. Your righteousness shall go before you and the glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call and the Lord will answer. You shall cry and he will say, here I am. If you take away the yoke from your midst and the pointing of the finger and the speaking wickedness, if you pour yourself out for the hungry and satisfy the desire of the afflicted, then shall your lights rise in the darkness and your gloom be as the noonday. And the Lord will guide you continuously and satisfy your desire in scorched places and make your bones strong and you shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. Do you see what he's saying here? When you start doing and taking care of those who are oppressed, you start taking care of those who are hungry and naked. When you start taking care of the people that have less than you, then you'll see something because all of the things that God put in his word, all the things he told Israel to do was not just to follow a law and check the box he wanted them to see the intent of the law taking care of the sojourner or taking care of those who who didn't have we got to realize that the, the the first system we see of of um suddenly the word you ever just had a word just right um today we look at the government to take care of those folks who don't have anything right uh, to give assistance and, and these kind of things. But we realize that when we start truly looking at those uh, who are on welfare and those kind of things, and I'm not knocking anybody who is, but when we look at the welfare system for people, we go all the way back to the Old Testament. God instituted welfare for the people way before any government. In God's way or God's government, the theocracy, he told them that when they had these fields to leave the outside edges of the field in the corners not to be gleaned that so those who didn't have or those who may be traveling through that don't have that they may be able to. So what is he saying? Leave part of your field ungleaned that others may come in your field and be fed. That's what the law said to do. So God is questioning him here, and he's telling them that you, you, you haven't looked beyond the law. You don't understand even the fast that you're doing. You don't understand it because you're not looking at the intent of it. You're just checking off a box. By the way, have you ever fasted for someone? I decided I was going to go on a long fast once. It was like the scariest four hours of my life. You don't realize how things catch your attention until you decide you ain't going to eat. Then everything turned into a Snickers bar, I'm telling you. You ever seen like a, on the Looney Tunes, that hungry dog will be looking at Porky the Pig, and next thing you know, he looks like a ham dinner? Right? That's, y'all know what I'm saying? Am I the only one that thinks like this? By the looks on your faces, I am. Anyway, I mean, I'd be looking at a traffic light would turn into a Snickers bar. You know, Mary go around on a park, look like a Reese cup. I mean, it was like, oh, it was scary. But you know, a fast ain't really about the food. It's what it'll do for your heart. It's what it'll do for your attitude. How it'll help you grow spiritually. 
how it will also just give you a glimpse of what it may be like to be hungry. I don't know about you, but it's been a long time since I went to bed hungry because I didn't have food in the fridge. I remember even being as a kid, I don't remember going hungry as a kid. We were poor. My mom would make meals out of things. Did anybody's spaghetti sauce ever start off as ketchup? Anybody ever had that? Ketchup and some, some garlic and some other things, right? Didn't have money to go buy that other stuff. That's, we had some spaghetti noodles, we had ketchup and some spices, and that's the way we roll. I tell people one of the things I really miss is hot dog gravy. Anybody ever had that? You buy them cheap hot dogs, they got fat in them still, and so you fry them up and they get a little grease in the pan. Listen, you got a little grease, you can make some gravy, baby. You know what I mean? You know what I'm saying? Hot dog gravy, dude, that's where it's at. Listen, I, I'd pay big money to have hot dog gravy, but we ate it because you could buy a pack of hot dogs for 50 cents back then. Mom could feed us all with a pack of hot dogs and some flour and some cream. I can remember, I can remember us not, being, not having milk and not being able to afford it. My mother would take non-dairy creamer for coffee, and she had figured out a way to use that as cream to make gravy so that we wouldn't go hungry. Listen, that's stretching it. You know what I'm saying? My mother said she was so tight that she could stretch the nickel till the bull poops. That's what she used to say. Hey, bro, that's tight. I never went to bed hungry. God always gave us something. Always made sure sometimes when we didn't have any meat, didn't know where anything was coming from. My dad would get a call and somebody would need work done on an oil furnace and my dad would go and he would come home, but because the person that had the furnace didn't have any money either, but they had deer steaks or deer burger or something like that. There's been many times my dad would go out the door to work on somebody's heat and come back with meat that we needed, and God knew how to make it happen. But listen, God has called us to be his hands and feet. Many of us are who God is calling to provide those things for other folks. You see, he's telling Israel here that, listen, you don't even understand, you don't even understand the fast and what it's for because you're missing the whole point. Remember when Jesus in, in Matthew chapter 5, the Sermon on the Mount, when he told him that the law says that thou shall not commit murder, thou shall not kill. But I tell you, somebody who calls his brother a fool is in danger of hellfire. You know what he's saying with? He says, you all look at the law and thou shalt not kill as you shouldn't take a physical life. But how many times have we murdered with our words? You ever murdered somebody with your words? Or have you ever been murdered with... You ever had your spirit stuffed out of you by some words of harsh people who didn't love and who would say tough things to us, to you? I have. And Jesus was making the same point that God is making here through the prophet Isaiah. You don't even understand the fast. You don't understand. Is it not for you to share your bread with the hungry? So listen, when we say that we are for life, it's not just about in the womb. But we care about life all the way through. Because God has called upon us. Now listen, we do have a welfare system now. Yes, we do, and it's broken, by the way, in case you didn't know it. It seems like the people who do need help can't get it, and the people who don't need help have figured out a way around the system. But we still have a responsibility. 
And listen, don't give me that I pay taxes thing. You pay taxes because you have to, because you don't want to go to jail. Don't act like you give up that tax check and pray over it. Lord, I pray that you bless our government with this money. You don't do that. You look at your paycheck the way I did and go, what? It's worse every year, don't it? So don't tell, we can't come across the church as like, well, we pay taxes and that's what it's for. We pay taxes to stay out of jail. By the way, when we see Jesus come, Jesus didn't say anything different. And by the way, when Jesus stayed, they were paying a Roman tax. So they were paying their taxes. And still yet, Jesus said what? Well, let's turn to Matthew chapter 25 and we'll see it. Matthew 25, we'll look at verses 41 through 46. I'm not going to, I probably should read the whole section, but I'm not. Jesus is telling them they need to feed the hungry, clothe the naked. And he's told, he says that those on the right, that you have done this and you're going to welcome in. But then he says those on his left, and that's who we're looking at in, in verse 41. Chapter 20, Matthew 25, starting at verse 41, it says, Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick, and in prison, you did not visit me. Then they also will answer, Lord, when did we not see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them saying, Truly I say to you, as you did not do it for one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Jesus is using this as a big qualifier saying that those who truly follow him or Jesus is speaking, those who truly follow me, they will do these things. And when you do it to the least of them, you do it for me. But if you don't, if you say that you follow me, if you say that you love me, yet you do not love your brother truly as yourself, if you say that you love me, but your life is centered around yourself, well, if I'd do more if I had time. Listen, people who, are, people who live the scriptures and people who don't got the same amount of time you got. It's how you use it. How much of your time revolves around you versus doing the things of God. And so it's important that we truly take a good look at ourselves this morning because Jesus wasn't playing. Jesus don't do no jokes. Because he said there'll be many in that day. He says, Lord, didn't we do all this in your name? He says, depart from me, you workers of iniquity, for I never knew you. He is challenging them here. He says, listen, for those of you who did not do it for the least of my people, depart from me. Because your life was never about anyone else but yourself. You never followed me. Truly. Because Jesus says, these are the things I do. And if you don't do likewise, then you don't have a part of me. I know what you were thinking. You left a message this week, yesterday, talking about this message about God's power, what he can do. When are we going to get to that? In a minute. But we got to look at this first. And so, what are you doing? I shouldn't have to beg people to work in the clothing closet, to be quite honest with you. There should be a, a list of waiting people waiting to get in the help of that. 
Bottom line, it's not about who runs what. It's just about the fact that there's work to do. Or are you going to do it? Now, listen, we're going to do that thing whether y'all want to do it or not. We're going to be the hands and feet of Jesus, those who want to be. And just because you go to this church and we have the clothing closet doesn't mean that you're involved in it. My dad would say this, capiche? I hated when he did that. Because he always did it when he was angry. He never said capiche in a good way. Son, I love you, capiche? It was never that. Apparently, capiche is an Italian word for do you understand that can only be used in anger. Now, I asked how many of you all ever prayed to get closer to God. Turn your Bibles to Psalms 34. I was listening to a podcast this week of a, of a preacher friend named Jim McComas. You've probably never met Jim, but a couple weeks ago we had Brother Bob Legg up from the Family Ministries. Bob Legg... His boss is Jim McComas. Jim McComas runs the, the Free Old Baptist Family uh, Ministry um, program. They have several houses where they, uh, they house um, uh, kids from, you know, they act as foster care. Uh, they have a lot of foster kids. Uh, orphanage, also single moms. Several different houses do a lot like that. And they also now do drug counseling. Uh, work with addiction, and most, if you probably wouldn't know this, but Brother Jim McComas lost his son a couple years ago to a heroin overdose. He said it made me look a life a lot different. He said, because I knew, I knew the road my son was down. I knew how much he struggled, and I had prayed with him, and he said, I knew the last conversation I had with him was his desire to help people that have been what he's going through because he understood what it was like. And they don't know what happened between then, the last time he talked to them, and then when they found him dead, he didn't know what happened that, that caused him to think that he could just go back and in some weak moment caught him. But many people would look at that as just another one heroin addict down the road. There's another one, Dad. That's somebody's son. And Jim knew the heartache because they had lived it with, with his son for several years, helping him try to get through that. We've had people bury loved ones here that's fallen to that. You see, God expects us to love them too. I can't say that I'm pro-life and then hate the addict. I may not like what they do, and they do a lot of things to try to get their hands on, that, on money to be able to get that stuff. But listen, have you ever really met someone that's gone through it? You ever met someone that's been through it and know how hard it is? It's tough. This ain't a pull yourself up by the bootstraps kind of thing. And so I want to challenge you today. I've seen a lot of people poke fun and laugh at these folks that are flipping out in the middle of the road and everything else. I've seen it. I've seen it myself. I've seen social media posts about it and all that kind of stuff. And listen, I, and the post that I saw, it was never anybody within our church or anything. So I'm not, if I had an issue with you, you'd know about it, by the way. I wouldn't do it from the pulpit. I'd come to you personally. Uh, almost to a fault. And some of y'all can say amen to that, right? You're not going to tell me something and think I ain't going to challenge you on it. it it'll, we do what we got to do. There's a time and a place for that. It's not the pulpit. But I want us to look at Psalms 34, verse 18. It says, The Lord is near 
to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. On down in verse 22, it says, None of those who take refuge in Him will be condemned. So I ask you this question, do you want to be close to God? Here is a surefire way to get close to God, is get near the people that God is near. You understand what I'm saying? If God is near the brokenhearted, then where should we be? Near the brokenhearted. If God you know, saves those who are crushed in spirit and we want to be close to God, where do we need to do? We need to find those who are crushed in spirit and be with them. We say we want to get close to God, but will we go where He goes? Will we love who He loves? Because that's what it really means to be pro-life. I know you thought when I started talking about pro-life, it was going to be all about this. Well, listen, being pro-life, it just the, 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 the abortion thing is just one little small facet of being pro-life. Church, if we're going to be pro-life, then we've got to love everybody. And if we want to be close to God, then by golly, He gave us a surefire verse to tell us where He is. He is near the brokenhearted. If you want to be close to God, then get near the brokenhearted and you'll be close to Him. Amen. Told you the story before about the pastor in New York City that pastored a big churches and they did four or five services every Sunday and it was the last service and he was sitting uh, on the stage with his feet kind of dangling. He would be given a, an invitation and he was so tired he just wanted the service to be over so he could finally go. And I can tell you, I, I preached one service and I'm tired enough. I can't imagine doing that five times or four times in, in, in a morning span. Right, but but he did, and I'm sure he doesn't preach as long as I do. But hey, you know, I only got one service, so got to got to get it done. And so he was just waiting there, and and finally he saw this man that came up, and this man had come up. He could tell that he was a homeless guy, and uh, he thought for sure the guy was there to ask for money because when you're in New York City and inner city, it's very common. And so he had he reached in his pocket and he had a five dollar bill. And so when the guy come up to him. You know, and went to go shake his hand, hug him. He, he put the five in his hand and, and he went to go grab him and, and, and shake his hand and give him the money. And the guy's like, that's not what I want. That's not what I want. God wasn't there for the money. He wanted to know this Jesus that the preacher was talking about. He said, man, it hit him like a ton of bricks. He just wanted to give that guy five dollars and get him out of the way. He said, but when that guy went to go hug him, he said, there was a smell that crawled up my nose that it was the most stinkingest, rotten, just smelled of trash and, 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 and body odor and you name it. He said, it was the most awful smell. He said, it, it was just like God jolted him with lightning and told him, get used to that smell because that, that's what ministry smells like if you do it right. That's what it smells like. Funk, body odor, trash. Think about what a brokenhearted, a truly broken person looks like. It's not pretty. He said, and it changed his ministry drastically. Are you willing to do that? Are you willing to do this? He's all right. He's all right. We all have babies in here. He's fine. He's fine. He just don't like the preacher's long-winded. That's what he's probably upset about. He'll be all right. Now, listen, I want to read the rest of the story to you, though. 
And I know I got a limited amount of time, but I want us to go back to Exodus. I think you kind of get the picture at this point. You get the picture. God has called us to love all walks, all races, all types of people, no matter what they look like, no matter what they smell like, no matter whether they are steeped in the worst things by their own decision-making or not, it does not matter. By the way, how many of you have ever been in a pickle because you made a bad decision? How many of y'all would not be where you're at today had you not had a mother or father that loved you and helped you out of that mess? Amen. Told you all the story a week or two ago how my dad walked me into the courthouse. Police were out looking for me. My dad walked me in. He says, boy, if you'll go in like a man, I'll stand right beside you. And I'll love you and I'll be there and I'll help you all the way. If you'll stand up and do what's right. And I'm thankful for that. Had it not been for a dad like that, I don't know what I would have done. So listen, there's a lot of us today have made bad decisions. So don't be breaking and you know, busting on other people because they made bad ones. Right? God didn't forget you because you made a bad decision, and he didn't forget anybody else. But you had someone to help you miss. A lot of times people don't. You ever met somebody who didn't have any family? It's the saddest thing. I have met people that just really didn't have any family, didn't have anyone to love, didn't have anybody to love them. How sad is that? I'm sure Mary won't mind me sharing you. I was just hit at the moment when we were up at the lake two weekends ago, spreading Brother Dave's ashes, and, and it hit me when she had asked me to pray. And, and in honor of Dave, I prayed for all the people who never, never was able to call somebody like Dave dad or granddaddy or my man. You know how many people in this life never meet a person like that? My life was forever changed because of his life, because he mentored me, helped me understand. I saw a lot of my formidable years, saw some awful stuff, and I, got a, I have a loving mother and father. My, my mother, she's already in heaven, and my dad, he's, he'll meet her there. He's ready to go, but it wasn't always like that at my house, and there were some things I just was lacking in. And as well as my wife for the things that we went through when we were kids and saw, and we didn't know how to do some of these things. And I'm so thankful that I had somebody that mentored me and showed me and helped me understand. Think about all the people who never have that. And maybe, maybe they're waiting on you. Maybe you're that difference. Maybe God's knocking on your heart's door because somebody... Somebody out there that is in your area of influence or somebody that, that will cross your path is somebody who needs somebody like that. They've never known anybody who's ever cared. And they've never known love before. I think about Richard that I met through Credo. Brian uh, got us, several of us to go to Credo uh, and, and go through as a candidate, which and it was an amazing thing, but I met a guy named Richard there. And Richard was a recovered homosexual and and he said that it was in Credo was the first time he ever truly saw a man love another man in the right way. Because he had been abused since he was a young child, physically and sexually. First time he ever saw real love. And he cried when he said, listen, I just broke down because I had been judging the whole weekend with that guy. And then when I finally heard his story, I was like, the Lord beat me so hard that I just couldn't hardly stand on my own two feet. I had to apologize to him. I had to tell him I was sorry. And, 
And he loved me and hugged me and said, it's okay, brother. It's okay. I'm like, no, it's not. Will you make the difference in somebody's life? But I want you to look at the rest of the story because I'm going to tell you, the problem is when we want to start going to do right, opposition is going to hit us. And we're going to worry about these things. Can I tell you this? First off, love people. Be pro-life all the way. And the second thing I want you to realize is that God can do the unimaginable if you'll trust him. So let's look at the rest of the story. Let's go to chapter 2 in Exodus. I'll read quickly. Now he's laughing at me. He's like, read quickly. (laughs) (laughs) I ain't been around you, big boy, but about an hour and a half. And I could already tell you ain't nothing quick about you. It's all right, little man. We'll get it. Exodus chapter 2, starting at verse 1, it says, Now a man from the house of Levi went and took as a wife a Levite woman. The woman conceived and bore a son, and when she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him three months. Now let's just stop there for a second. Can I stop there? I'm going to call her Mrs. Moses. Moses is my. You ever had a kid come up and not know your name, and you're like, hi, Hi, Jordan's mom. That's what we had a kid in our neighborhood. Hi, Jordan's mom. Hi, Jordan's dad. That's what they called us. They didn't didn't know what to call us. I was Jordan's dad, and she was Jordan's mom. And uh, so Moses' mom. Right, so the command's already been out. The midwives have already refused to do what the Pharaoh wanted, and God was still blessing them because they made the right decision, and they chose life. They chose the ways of God. And now here's Moses' mom. When she saw that child, he was a fine child. You know what makes a difference sometimes of whether a girl will have abortion or not? Sonogram. You can't deny life when you see it move. And so places like the family ministries and places like Birthright and all, they're always trying to raise money to get the latest sonogram equipment because a lot of times that will make the difference in someone's life. Because, they, you know, at this point, if you don't know who Jesus is, then what all these people, all you, listen to this, if you didn't grow up in a home where somebody taught you about Jesus, and then you look at the news today, that everybody who says they love Jesus and, and, and are pro-life, well, they really hate you and your body, how would you feel? I mean, a lot of people are doing this. We look at, you know, I can't, people are like, I, I can't stand, I can't believe someone would even do that. But listen, if you weren't raised knowing who Jesus is and not knowing that there's a God that loves you, if you were raised in, in, into, you know, these formidable ages and never knew anything about that and all you ever saw was the news and what's being touted about people who say they're pro-life, that they hate women's bias, what would you do? You would think that it was okay too. So let's quit bashing people. Because... Some people don't know about Jesus. They don't know about a God who loves them. They don't know about a God who cares about them. And so they make those decisions based on the information they do have. Now, they know that killing's wrong. And so that's why a lot of times girls, uh, you know, they come in. I say girls, young ladies, whatever you want to call. They come in and all that they're taught says that this is, you know, just the, the thing to do. But if you'll take time and do that sonogram, you'd be surprised how quickly things change. And I thought about that when I read this. Moses' mom said he was a fine child. You know what? My mother said there's never such thing as an ugly baby. I think she lied. I've seen an ugly baby. Anybody else seen an ugly baby? I saw one come out look like a pug. You know what I'm saying? Or one of them dogs that's got all the wrinkles. Y'all, you ever seen one of them babies? Right? Matter of fact, Jordan wasn't that handsome when he come out, to be honest with you. 
I'm just telling the truth. Well, they're all wrinkly and stuff, right? They finally got him cleaned up. I'll tell you what made me proud of my son. It wasn't so much that I looked at him as like, that's the most adorable thing in the world. That's just not what I said. But I will tell you, they were beating his back with this little thing. It looked like a flower, like a tulip, and had a little handle. And they were just slightly beating his back to loosen up the stuff in his lungs so he would cough it out. And they were trying to get him to cry. And they were just beating and beating. I said, you can go on and keep beating on that boy. He ain't going to cry. That's a Hoffmaster right there. I was so proud. It didn't matter. He was wrinkly and kind of ugly looking. It didn't matter. He was the Hoffmaster. I knew that. He didn't cry. Shoot, that's my boy right there. He got older and cried a lot. Anyway, that's beside the point. In all honesty, I saw him and he was beautiful. You see, there's not a baby born who isn't beautiful. I always tease all the time. Some of them do look like pugs, though. I wasn't lying about that part. Why are all babies beautiful? Because... God granted life. If you don't think a baby's beautiful, go to a woman who cannot have a child. Go to someone who's been wrestling for years to try to have children and have been to all the fertility doctors and everything else, and you look at them and you tell them that a baby ain't beautiful. They'll probably rise up and smack you across the... Well, you get the idea. Moses' mom said he was a fine child. Why? Because he was made in God's image, that's why. And he was beautiful. Sometimes seeing is the difference. And it says that when she could hide him no longer, in verse 3, she took for him a basket made of bulrushes and daubed it with bitumen and pitch. And she put the child in it and placed it among the reeds by the riverbank. And his sister stood at a distance to know what would be done to him. Now the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river, and while her young woman walked beside the river... She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her servant woman, and she took it. And when she opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the baby was crying. And she took pity on him and said, This is one of the Hebrew's children. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call a nurse from the Hebrew women to nurse the child for you? And the Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go. So the girl went and called the child's mother. Now let's stop there for a second. You see what's happening? So when Moses' mom could no longer hide him anymore, she made for him a little basket and she made it waterproof so it would float and she put Moses in it and wrapped him up. And she put him there in a Nile by, by the reeds. Remember, they were supposed to drown the babies. They were supposed to throw them in a Nile. She put his in a basket that was waterproof and put it by the reeds. And I know surely she had this desire to hope that somebody would see and make a difference. It was the Hebrew people that they were after. But if maybe an Egyptian saw this child and took pity on it, maybe her son would live. And so it was no one else other than the Pharaoh's daughter herself. herself. The Pharaoh's daughter sees it. So what's that? And she has one of her people to go get it. Because that's what you do when you're rich. You make other people go get stuff, right? Go over and get that. Comes out, it's a baby. And it's a Hebrew baby. But remember, Moses' sister had been running along, right? Been running along to see what would happen. And when, when, the, when the, the Pharaoh's daughter saw this and that the baby was crying, she took pity on him. And she said, this is one of the Hebrew children. Then, the sister, then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, shall I go call a nurse from the Hebrew women to nurse a child for you? So here's Moses' sister sees this and says, hey, do you need a, you may go get a nurse from the Hebrew women? She said, yeah, go do that. Now think about that. Now let's read the rest. And the Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take this child away and nurse him for me. Oh, I'm sorry. I was kidding. And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, so the girl went and called the child's mother. And the Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take this child away and nurse him for me. 
and I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him. Now listen, only God can do this stuff. Here's Moses' mom worried about his life. She couldn't kill him. She, she didn't want him dead. So she, so she hid him as long as she could. When she couldn't hide him no longer, she puts him in his basket that's waterproof. She puts him in, in there in the Nile by the reeds and just praying that somebody would, maybe from the Egyptian clan, would, would see this baby and take pity. And no, you know, no one other than the Pharaoh's daughter herself sees this baby there. And so Moses' sister says, you want me to go get somebody to nurse it for you? And she said, yeah. And she goes to Moses' mother. Now, the Pharaoh's daughter didn't know this, but God did. And so Moses' mom is worried about his life, and look what God has orchestrated here. He orchestrated that the Pharaoh's daughter would be the one to find him, and then does, listen, but when, when you think that God is not going to do something for you, watch out, because God is working behind the scenes. He can do the unimaginable. Not only did Moses get to live, and not only did Moses' mom get to nurse him, but she got paid. What? It says to Pharaoh, says, I will give you your wages. She got paid to nurse her own baby, people. Can you see that? I mean, only God can work that kind of stuff out. I'm here worried about my baby, whether he'll live or not. Now she's nursing him and making bank doing it. Listen, God can do those kind of things, and he'll do them for you if you'll choose the right way. If you'll choose life, God will make a way. If you'll choose to do for others, God will make a way. A lot of times people say, I'd like to do for other people, but, but listen, I, but, but, you know, I don't, I don't have enough. Listen, I can tell you this. You give to God whether you think you got enough or not, and God will make sure you have your stuff. But if you start holding out for yourself and then giving God just what's left over, and if nothing's left over, then you, God gets nothing, I can tell you your home's not going to be blessed. Go back and read the book of Habakkuk when he talks about this. I mean, Haggai, go about this. And Haggai says, listen, you sit here in your sealed houses while mine lays at waste. You know what he says? You're worried about building your own house and your own life while my house is in shambles. He said, but you keep working for a wage and you put your money in a bag with holes in it. You know what that meant? He said, listen, as long as you focus on you, you're never going to have enough. I'm going to make sure of it. And I don't know about you, but there always seems to be more month than there is money. But if you give to God what is his first, God will bless you. You may not know where it's coming from. You may not know how it's going to get done, but I guarantee you, you give to God what belongs to God first. He'll bless you for the rest. We've seen it happen in our lives. Now listen, we certainly ain't rich. I ain't got no mag wheels on that camper out there yet, but I'm hoping for a set of Craigers, amen? I am going to get a set of, sooner or later, I'm going to have a set of Craigers in there so y'all can just all point at me and laugh, but I'm going to have a little hot rod looking fifth wheel and that's going to be my house. I may not be rolling in it, but man, I've always got enough. It wasn't until I chose God first. I had the big house. I had all the stuff. When I finally walked away from that junk, our life changed drastically. Our, drive, our life is full. It is complete. I have less now than I've ever had, but yet I've got more than I've ever had. Why? Because God just continually blesses. Because we don't want to put that money into something that just is going to burn up with fire. What can we do that will bless others and show thankfulness to God for what he's done for us? 
And so how often do we not do what's right because we're worried about not having enough ourselves? When will we trust God that he is enough and that he can do the unimaginable? I guarantee you when Moses' mother put him in that little basket, she was not thinking that in a few hours later, that baby would come right back to her and she'd be nursing him and making money while doing it. Amen. It almost sounds like one of those infomercials that's too good to be true. You want to make $1,000 a day at home? Yeah. But I don't believe in selling drugs. That's the only way I know how to do it. I mean, you ever see these infomercials come on late at night because you're just wanting somebody half asleep, right? It's like, oh, that looks like a good idea. Has anybody ever ordered stuff like that? Flying lures. Oh, my. Listen. Sal and I ordered flying lures one time. Anybody ever used a flying? It's the biggest piece of junk. Never worked, right? But we saw flying lures on late night TV. We couldn't sleep one night, 1 a.m. You need to get flying lures. You're going to catch fish left and right. You know? Oh, man, listen, we ordered them up right on the spot, flying lures. Never did work. I don't, we, I don't think we ever caught fish, did we? Wasn't for lack of trying. They worked on the TV show. I bet you when we placed that order, they were like, <laughs> sucker, got another one. Got another idiot coming in. Got another order. Listen, God take care of you. He'll, he'll give you all that you ever need when you start trusting Him. But a lot of times we start looking at ourselves and we think that we don't have enough, so how can I give somebody else? Listen, I'm going to tell you something. If you've got a roof over your head, you've got clean drinking water, you've got more than most. If you make more than $10,000 a year, you're in the highest 10% of the world. If you make over $40,000 a year combined, then you're in the top 5% of the world. We keep thinking about U.S., U.S. Have you not noticed that we're going to implode, self-employed? Have you not seen that coming? Do you not see things starting to collapse? Do you not know that it's coming? It's coming. And where will you be when it happens? Will, be, will we be like the world, still trying to accrue all we can get ourselves? Or are we trusting God to know that he can do the unimaginable? So you know what? I might as well just focus on being the hands and feet of Jesus. He will take care of me. We'll give to God what belongs to him and we'll trust God for the rest. And we'll know that God's word says that his people will not go hungry. He says, I've never seen the righteous forsaking or his children begging for bread. That's what his word says. Now, that's still not the end of the story. There's still one more point I want to make to you. And now stay in Exodus. We're in chapter 2. I'm going to read verses 11 through 15. I'm going to read it quickly. And it says this. One day, Moses had grown up. And so what, what happened? Remember, Moses' mom took him, nursed him. Right? And when he finally got to the age, I guess, where he was be pretty self-sufficient. Probably elementary years still, though. But he was totally nursed. Totally able to, you know, I don't know what age. A lot of people have varied in what they thought that age was. Maybe five, six, seven maybe. Maybe a little younger than that. But when he is finally weaned and doing good, his mother then took him to the Pharaoh's daughter and he was raised the rest of his years in the Pharaoh's house. Now listen, the word I want to really draw out of here is I want to draw out the importance of your home. Pro-life. God can do the unthinkable and the unimaginable, so quit worrying. God knows how to take care of you. 
And the last point is this, what happens in your house matters, especially the early years. Because look at what happened. It says in verse 11, one day when Moses had grown up, he went out to his people and looked on their burdens and he saw the Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people. He looked this way and that and seeing no one, he struck down the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. Now, think about this for a minute. Moses spent a few years in the house of his mom and dad, his real mom and dad. He spent the rest of those years in the Pharaoh's house. But why is it that he spent more years in the Pharaoh's house than he did his mom's house? But yet when he looked at the Hebrew people, they were his people. He was raised in the Pharaoh's house where I'm sure that nothing there was probably nothing that, that he wasn't available to him. But see, God had already gripped his heart. God had already gripped his heart. His mom and dad had already trusted in God for Moses' life. And I'm sure that that was taught to him. He was taught that there was one true living God. And his name is Yahweh. Or they would most likely say Jehovah or Jehovah. He was taught there's one true living God. He was taught those things in those formidable years of that house that even though he had then went to the Pharaoh's house and undoubtedly spent more years in the Pharaoh's house than he did his mom and dad's house, still yet being a Hebrew and God's people never left him. Those years and days that he spent in the Pharaoh's house could not undo the teaching of God that happened in his mom and dad's house. Because when he saw the Hebrew being mistreated, he struck the Egyptian down. Why? Because those were his people. Those years in the Pharaoh's house had not taken that out of his heart. And then verse 13 says, And then he went out the next day, and behold, two Hebrews were struggling together. And he said to the man in the wrong, Why do you strike your companion? And he answered, Who made you a prince and a judge over us? Do you mean to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought, Surely this thing is known. And when the Pharaoh heard of it, he sought to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and stayed in the land of Midian, and he sat down by a well. You know what's interesting is that there are all those years of Moses living in the house of the Pharaoh. The Pharaoh never saw Moses as his. You ever think about it? I mean, all his son did was kill a Hebrew person. Pharaoh had commanded all the baby boys to be killed. Killing a Hebrew person wasn't a big deal. But yet, all, that's all it took to make the Pharaoh mad and to seek to kill Moses. You see, that's what the world is. The world will make you think that you're a part of it. But as soon as you do something they don't like, they'll spit you out. But listen, when we teach our children the ways of God and we teach them early in those formidable years... It may look like some of these little kids, like they're not getting a thing. But you know what? They're sitting beside their mom and dad in God's house. Trust me, they're getting something. If nothing more, they're seeing that it's a priority to you. And folks, sometimes that's all it takes. They're learning. And they learn what's in mom and dad's house will trump anything else they learn. By the way, I guess that's no word he can't use anymore. What's taught in mom's dad's house will be stronger than anything else that they're taught. But listen, 
What are you teaching in your house? Amen? What are you teaching in your house? It's all right to talk Jesus when you're at church or you talk Jesus when you're at home. What do your children think about how you care about others? What do your children think about how you view homeless people? How you view people who are in addiction? How you view people who make mistakes? What, are you, what do we say in our homes, in our normal course of everyday life? That's what really matters because that's where they're going to see if you really care or not. That's where they're going to see if you, if you really are going to be the hands and feet of Jesus. That's where they see how you really feel. When you get to church, oh, I love everybody. Till you get there in the middle of the week and somebody makes you mad or, or something don't go your way or you see somebody make a knucklehead and move and you're willing to just write them off. If you write people off, guess what your children will do? Write people off. But if you'll love them, if you'll say, you know what, not only did I pray that I want to be close to God, but I'm actually going to go and be close to God. Because when I go to those who are brokenhearted, and I go to those who are crushed in spirit, and I love them, I'm where God is. Because he's close. He's waiting on them to, to call. But maybe they don't know. Maybe the difference is you telling somebody in an alleyway. By the way, you know what? Remember Peter when he's walking at the, uh, in the gate of the temple, he said, silver and gold, you know, I have none, but what I do have I give to you. And he grabbed the, the paralyzed man's hand and, and the guy stood up on his legs, on his feet for the first time in his life. Now that was physical, but maybe, maybe in life that's what they need. They need somebody to put out their hand and say, listen, I don't have money for you. But I do have a loving God who will love you. And what little I do have, I'll share it with you. And maybe that's what they need to get up on their feet. Somebody like you to love them. Somebody like you to make a difference. All those years in Pharaoh's house didn't make Moses an Egyptian. It was those few years in his real mom and dad's house that made him one of God's people. So I'll leave you with three things. God's people are pro-life from conception to grave. Number two is this. God can do the unimaginable. So just trust him. And number three is this. God has designed our homes to be the center stage for the most effective discipleship plan in all of the world. Amen. Our home is the most effective discipleship place there is. But not only is our home good for discipleship for our children, but listen, bringing people into our home and loving them and sharing a meal with them is also a good place to do discipleship. It's when we open our homes. Yeah, we can, we can open our parking lot and do whatever we used to do. And we've done some of that stuff in the past. We could open our parking lot, do all the, hand out the candy and all that. But you know what? Easy come, easy go. What really makes a difference is when you find that family that's struggling, you find that person that is struggling, you invite them in your home to sit down at your table. Now we're getting somewhere. When will you open your home? To someone who needs whether they need love, whether they need food, whether they need clothes, it does not matter. When will you open your hearts and open your home 
because our home is the most effective place to make disciples in all the world. Would you stand to your feet?